Hey, welcome back to another episode of Ross Never Sleeps on NSN. I got to sit down with pretty much, if I were to pick a comedian who I'd be like, this guy is pretty much my best friend, but he's also a comedian and not my friend, but actually just a guy I admire, Ben Miner would be that exact person. I know that's a weird intro, but I feel like coming into this interview, I had like 400 million questions and I had to reduce them to only like an hour and change worth of questions because Ben is extremely interesting he's like the friend you want to hang out with whether it's cooking a meal joking around you know having a few brews or or, or joints whatever your thing is ben is honestly watching your friend do comedy and i don't know if to me that sounds like a compliment so i hope he takes that as one because it's exactly what i feel like even when chatting with him in this episode we got to talk about my favorite things you know food comedy working in toronto developing your you know national identity and i think he's doing an amazing job ben doesn't seem like he's been doing it for over 15 years but he's been doing comedy for almost half if not more than half his his life it's it's impressive to you know talk to anybody that's been doing their craft for that long successfully and and really having you know an impact on the scene and and ben is definitely that guy ben you know deals with top comic all the serious stuff um you know he's on master chef he worked on kenny hotz's radio show the list goes on and, and we touch on all of this stuff and more because when you talk to ben you're just actually i was actually really impressed because ben comes off you know very light but he's got an opinion and he's very you know stern and he and he definitely wants to say whatever he wants to say and i admire that because he's not wrong um i i really don't really have any bad or negative press about that guy the guy's absolutely hilarious and i'm looking forward to see his career explode implode and, and i hope he does that more and more in toronto uh without further ado it's such a honor to have this guy ben minor on the never sleeps network on ross never sleeps Thanks for coming, dude. No worries. Where are you coming from? Dundas and uh, Dovercourt. Are you a Toronto boy? I know you're not originally Ottawa. from... Yeah, but like, do you tell people, like, I'm from Ottawa? Or yeah, I'm you, an Ottawa guy. You're an Ottawa guy, straight yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Because I know you're French-Canadian. Yeah, man. So, like, people are just like, oh, you're from Montreal. Most people assume I'm from Toronto. Exactly. That's what... I mean, even when you... Even as yeah. you admit to me you're from Ottawa, I'm like, no, no, no. You're from Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, most people assume I'm from Toronto. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm from Ottawa, man. And you're wearing a Raptors hat? Yeah, buddy. Where's the like- Ottawa basketball thing? Yeah, exactly. So. so, where in Ottawa did you grow up? Uh, West End, Hintonburg, which was once a rough part of town when I grew up. And now it's basically the Ossington and Dundas of Ottawa. Hipster Central. It's Hipster Central in Ottawa. Ottawa has hipsters. Oh, my God. God, yeah, Ottawa's so full of hipsters. Like nine to five are hipsters that are like working in the political by uh, day, and then some, yeah. But there's like a, a cool little like subversive scene there. Of cool entrepreneurs that are young and uh, doing neat stuff. And both your parents speak French. Yeah, your first language is French. Yeah, man. We. <laughs> oui. Yeah, all my <laughs> education was in French up until uh, college. Wow. Yeah. And then where did you go to school? For college? Yeah. 
Algonquin College. For? TV broadcast. Okay. Same program as Norm MacDonald and Tom Green and John Doerr. So, did you know going into this program, this I'm going to be doing comedy like Tom Green, Ottawa, you know, representing? Well, I mean, I worked on Tom's show when I was like 16. Come on. Yeah. What did you do on Tom? My, all my questions <laughs> go out of the fucking the, yeah, the window now. I was uh, an intern at an animation studio when I was 15 years old called Lacewood Studios. And their first live action was Tom Green's pilot for CBC. And when I got there for my internship, the cubicle I was sharing was with Tom. Wow. And it was just pretty cool because this show was on Rogers 22 at that time, and I was already a gigantic fan. Yeah. And I couldn't believe I was sharing a cubicle with him. And uh, it was just the coolest thing ever. Then I got to work on both seasons of the Comedy Network show. You can see me in the background of old episodes. I was wow. the assistant director. And Phil? Phil, Glenn, Derek, yeah, all those guys, I man. I love the cast. I oh, love great. Tom. I'm a huge like, I had all his VHSs, and me, me and the guys would get together and just rewatch all his videos over and over and over again. Well, I mean, Tom was an innovator. You yeah. Know? When you think of Tom, YouTube wouldn't be shit without his, his spurning a, a generation of comedians and just regular people to be funny and do ridiculous stuff. And I mean, his stuff was always more thought out than a lot of people would assume. But uh, he definitely is one of the. Uh, more trend-setting comedians of my lifetime. I would say mine is your lifetime, so I would agree with yeah. that wholeheartedly. I think, especially now that he is trying to keep pretty consistent with what he's doing, just having a career, just kind of still being active, part of that shows the testament to the career that he always thought he'd have. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, he was an innovator, and now that he's kind of done innovating, he gets to do whatever he, he wants in, uh, you know, a scaled-down way. It's comfortable. It's in his L.A. home. Yeah, he's still innovating. You know what I mean? Like, who's ever done a show out of their house? I mean, I guess you're doing it right now. But it's not like live <laughs> it's not or anything. his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, but like the way he used the internet and Skype and, and He's getting amazing. a lot of people to kind of just be on his show without having to, you know, you don't need, he's never been the type of guy that went by the right rules, went no. by any rules, but he, you know, he always kind of just did whatever he wanted to do and people like, well, we get it. It's Tom. But like, you know, Eric Alper, who works for E1. Just, I know Eric. He's a buddy. Yeah. Eric's great. He's got a show uh, he, at the Sirius. He has a show on Sirius. Yeah. Okay. We got to talk about Sirius. I know you're, you're a huge uh, producer and, and host and member of, of the Sirius family. We're going to get to that. There's so much I got to ask you, Ben. <laughs> man. Like, we keep bumping into each other at shows. And yeah, man. We have some f um, familiar faces that are friends of, of both of us. But the fact that you're friends and worked with Tom, <laughs> Eric's a great dude. Yeah. We're going to touch on Kenny Hotz after this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, you've touched a lot of greatness, Ben. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> With, Eric, not like physically. Yeah. Well, that, that, well, that I, I guess in some sense. Yeah, you've, you've shook all their hands. But no, I've been lucky. I've been around some pretty inspiring people. But Eric talks. He just recently tweeted about Neil Young. Mm. You know, and I've always said this about Neil Neil Young. The reason the show you're on right now is called Ross Never Sleeps. Is a yeah. takeoff Neil Young's Rust Never Sleeps. Cool. He just happens to use my last name, uh, and he's an idol of mine. And it's like. The Neil Young way of doing things is you just do it for art's sake. You're an artist. People are going to love it. People are going to hate it. You can't please everybody. You do it for you first. And then people are like, oh, yeah, we get it. He's mm. an artist. Now I understand why this form of art is good, bad, important to me, important to somebody else. Tom Green's the same yeah. way. Oh, absolutely. And you've got to work on when you were 16. How did you how did you even get that job? It's just weird, man. I just I don't know. It never was preposterous to me to want to just go out and do shit that you want to do. 
And That's important. I don't know. Like, maybe because I'm an only kid and I got everything I ever wanted. And my mom was super supportive. Like, before I was there because I wanted to, my original dream was to be an animator, to be an animation. I was a pretty good artist, I guess. And my mom always supported that. And that's why I wound up at the animation studio. And then uh, I was pretty funny. And, like, around that, I was always funny, but around that time, it started to, like, escalate would be the best term. And I had a teacher uh, force me onto the improv team. And then she's like, I'm tired of giving you detention because you're not a bad kid. You're but, just like, bored. Yeah, usually you just keep interrupting and I can't get through a lesson because you're making everybody laugh. So it's either you join the improv team or you get detention for the rest of the term. Like, I guess I'll do French Catholic improv. So, yeah, that's when comedy started to peak. And then I got this internship at Leastwood. And I guess I was young to get that even because I was 15. And everyone else there that was an intern was like in college or like 17 or whatever. But I don't know. I just, I got, I guess, like chutzpah or moxie. Like, I don't, if I want something, I just try to figure out how to get it. And I tried to, I guess I gave a good interview and I got the interview at the animation studio. And then when I saw Tom, I just lost my shit. Oh, for sure. And I was running for student council that year. And Tom did all my campaign posters with me. And his producer, Marilyn Reed, who's a mentor and idol of mine, uh, she really took to me. And when his show didn't get picked up by CBC, she went on her own and started up her own company and uh, left Lacewood. And she took Tom with her. And she called me up one day and she said, Ben, do you want to join the gang green? And I was just like over the moon. I was 16. Wow. So all my friends are going to school in- and everything, and then I get to go go to school, and then I was working on Tom's show. But you've been ingrained in this industry for- More I than mean, half my life yeah. now. Yeah. I'm going to be 36 on Sunday. And it sounds like your parents were super supportive. My mom, yeah. I didn't grow up uh, with my dad. It was just my mom and I. And uh, But my mom was like- The funniest is uh, when you go on your first tour, and you're like 23. And I, it's weird to them, but it's not weird to us, right? Because there's so many people who have been through it, and they, they know the process. And I remember my mom was having me explain what the tour was to her. And I was like, okay. So I tell her, then she repeats it to me. She goes, so you go to Calgary. I go, yeah. She goes, and then you get picked up at the airport by a comedian. I said, yes. And she goes, and you drive to Saskatchewan. I said, yeah. She goes, and you do shows throughout Saskatchewan. I go, yep. She goes, and you drive back to Alberta. I said, yes. She goes, and you've never met this person before. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I guess when you put it that way, it's a little strange, but I know who they are. And. They've got a rep, and I mean, I'm the new comic, so they're going to put me with a veteran that knows their way, and that's how it was back then. I guess that's how it is now. I guess I'm sure, just a veteran. Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who was the vet that took you, that picked you up? That first tour, I think that was Harold Proust that picked me up, and we drove to Saskatchewan together. That's a fun yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. You get to sit in a car on your way to work with somebody who's done this a million times and you get Mm. to talk to them about your expectations. Well, it's just fun talking comedy with people. For sure. That's just what it is. That's why I do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was really lucky in the time I came up. Like, my class, and I refer to it as a class, right, in Ottawa. Like, it's basically high school to college. And I consider, like, this is, like, I'm in my college years now, you know? And Amateur was, like, high school and when I think of my, my graduating class from that Ottawa scene, it was me and John Steinberg and Jen Grant, Christina Walkinshaw, Casey Corbin, uh, Steve Dillon, Don Perret, John Doerr, Allison Doerr. Like, it was a pretty cool group of people to be around and pretty easy to be inspired by everybody just fucking rocking rooms, man. Like you look around and 
Everyone has gone on to have a career. Just to finish your analogy, are you still in college, though, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you're still learning from your peers, in the sense? Well, I can't walk down the street without people knowing, like, nobody knows who I am. Right. I can't sell out a theater yet. Okay. I can't call my own shots, right? Okay. So maybe I'm post-grad. Post-grad. I but like I'm that. still in college. I mean, sure. I to that other point, I don't think you ever, like, stop learning from people. Sure. Because I think the moment you do, you become arrogant about it, and nobody knows everything about this. It's I mean. true, and I don't think a comedian with an ego is funny, and I, and I think that egos generally, it's like a chicken before the egg kind of mm. thing. What what comes first? You have to get really successful for your ego, but if you if you have an ego already, doesn't that hinder your success in a lot of ways? I don't know. There's examples of people that make it work. When you do it right, and you do it over the top, like, like Daniel Tosh. I mean... Tell me that guy's not one of the funniest human beings alive. He's a bit. It's it's a gimmick. Yeah, but not everybody's going to pick up on that. They're just going to see that as an arrogant dude and just still think it's funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, it still works because he's a funny dude and he knows how to write a joke and he can deliver a joke. But, I mean, I don't think there's any real rules to it other than be funny. You know what I mean? Because every time I think I got it figured out as to what I don't like, I see somebody prove me wrong. What about, like, you know, you're in post-grad now is... is LA like making it like it's like yeah no, like, man. I don't know because you hear a lot of Toronto comics they're like oh, I'm going to LA yeah bye, bye. well Toronto. that's cool and I mean I wish them all the the success in the world and uh there's a lot more opportunity there I don't know what that means for me I think that like I don't know that uh, I want to go to LA maybe New York one day but even then I'm pretty happy here and I think that I'm doing shit here. Like, I'm doing cool stuff. Are and you I kidding mean, me, Ben? You're freaking busy as hell. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think for me, graduating day is when I can kind of, I don't know, buy my, my, like, buy my mom a house and buy myself a house. You know what I mean? Because that's like a point when if you've got like money for two houses that you don't need, then you're pretty good. And you're not taking any shitty gigs. Where are you, you know? buying your mom a house? Ottawa or Toronto? Ottawa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no question. No, no, no hesitation. I like the buffer. I like the buffer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Can I tell you? I was just talking to a friend today about the parental buffer. It's like how much like a four or five hour drive gets you out of so much responsibility. People, oh, yeah. People figure out a lot on their own as a parent when they realize how far away you are. Anyway, enough about my problems. Uh, <laughs> where are you from? I'm from here. There you I go. actually grew up in Thornhill. There you go. So I'm a 905 or turn 416-er. Boom. But I've always wanted to be a Toronto boy. I've always been a city boy. I'm not a suburb guy. I need to like walk out. Mm. I need to be like, hey, I'm interviewing Ben. I I'm, I'm interviewing Phil Luzzi after you. Yeah. We got to talk a bit after that. I posted about that. Most you saw handsome that. man in comedy. Oh my God. I showed him a pic before, as we get on another tangent. I'm showing my girlfriend pictures of, yeah. of Phil. Like she's like, I, I need to see Phil. I can't put the name to the face because we just it's saw just his not friend fair, show. Right? It's not fair. Well, he's gay. Yeah, I know. But I mean, like still, so why, there is a why little bit of fairness. Why can't I look like... Well, no, no, I <laughs> like guess he's like not stealing all the women from us. No, I mean, like he could look like I mean, he is technically he could be like ten percent less good looking and donate that ten percent to me because that like ten percent of Phil Lucy good looks to me is like thirty percent, you know. <laughs> And nobody would even notice because he's not good looking. So yeah, like, he's like the U.S. dollar of good looks. Not fair. And we're the Canadian dollar of that good hair, looks. That hair. That hair is just, I'm showing her uh, pictures and she's like, is he Arab? Is he, he's got this Middle East thing going on? I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure he's Italian. Yeah. He's just not beautiful. Fair. Not He's fair. just got perfect jawline. Hair growth oh, is yeah. perfect. I got a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just compare ourselves to Phil for the next hour. Oh, I feel crummy enough, Alex. But I was, <laughs> but I was saying I'm going to be talking to all these great people. It's a Monday night. I just want to to chill. How do mm. I? Where do I break 
from me talking and listen to some comedians and I can just post on Facebook, you know, where's the show tonight? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Nick Beaton or somebody will be like 9 p.m. Smoke and Bones, Queen oh, yeah. Street, you know, or the Underground, Comedy Bar, you name it. And like you can do that downtown. Uptown in the suburbs, you're stuck. Yeah, I know. Exactly, man. There's a, there's a lot of comedy happening all over Toronto. Toronto's Canada a as a whole. City. Yeah. There's just great comedy all over. Like Montreal's popping, Ottawa's getting there. Uh, I mean, the comics are great, but the scene itself, there's a few mics and rooms that are popping up, uh, but not like in Vancouver. Vancouver is ridiculous. Such a good scene. Come on. Is it because the LA people are able to flood out? Fuck uh, no. There? It's because of all the great Canadian comics, man. No, I'm just saying, like, like, uh, listen, no, no doubt. <laughs> I'm sure there's like no, a. No, it's all the great Vancouver comics, man. It is on their strength, and it is on their talent, it is on their merit. Uh, they've built that scene up, and it's something cool. Not to take anything away from here, but they do a really cool thing there, and they do it differently, and it's pretty fun to watch. And What's be part different? Of. Who should we see out oh, there? Oh, man. I mean, most of their open mics have paid headliners, you know? Wow. So that's a, a, a nice thing. They charge money at the door. The audiences are there to see comedy. Again, there's great shows in Toronto, but it's rare that you get something like that. Well, let, let's just go back quickly to Ottawa. Your mom. Yeah. Big support. Oh, yeah. Is, is she funny herself? I know you're also, we're going to talk about your love for food. Yeah. Where did she influence you? Both food and comedy? Neither. Uh, my mom's like unintentionally funny. Nice. She's really nice. So like she'll say stuff that's super unfunny, but you laugh because she tried. <laughs> right. And she's <laughs> she's a better cook now, but she was not a good cook growing up. She tried. Again, I didn't starve. Fuck no. I mean, I was a big kid. And uh, I remember her lasagna was about 45 layers of pasta and like a thin sauce in between and tons of cheese. And she'd make a bunch of them and freeze them. And then I remember uh, instead of baking it, it would be microwave because she didn't realize the difference. But it was all homemade. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my. And I loved it. It was delicious. But then when I like would have realism, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so much better. Yeah, she, I don't know. My mom just, her influence is this and in how I think I treat people. I think she's just like a good person. So I try to. Isn't that amazing that these yeah. values you learn, from, like a cooking, comedy, anything aside, when it comes to making you the real human being you are, which makes you a good comic, Fizzies. which makes you a good yeah. chef or home cook. Well, it's like building a dish is like writing a bit to me because if you have a bit and it's like beginning to end, people think they know what it's going to be. It's generally not going to be good. It's like they might get a little chuckle out of it, but it's not like a well-structured bit. You know what I mean? So it's like it's got to hit on multiple different notes where like a, a good recipe, a dish should be multiple textures. It should have a few different flavors to it. It shouldn't just be like one crunchy thing, right? It should have like some chewiness to it. It should have some meltiness to it. It should have some sourness, some sweetness, some salty, some sweet. It should have some balance to it. So I saw it look at like building a set and building a joke. And it was like, I don't want it to just be one thing. I try to have it, like, hit on a few different notes. How do you write a joke? What's your process? Well, right now I'm lucky because, like, you talked, you brought up the food thing. Food's, like, the spine of my act right now. So I just go from there, and it's the most relatable thing in the world because we all eat, you know? I don't know. I just try to figure out what, is, what haven't I heard yet because I hear a lot of comedy. You're my favorite audience working comic right now thank you like i see you walk into a room you have kind of your set jokes but even from there you're ready to just like how does this joke trigger reactions from the audience and then how do i work off those reactions Mm -hmm. and then when 
you like will pick somebody out of the crowd and be like you liked that joke let's talk about you yeah. you know you really put them on the spot in a good way you don't you're not just taking people out of the front of the audience in mm. in the front row being like you sat in the front here's your punishment you're like you like that joke let's learn more about you and why you like that joke well i i have a rule with the audience is that i'm never mean to them and i only make fun of them for good things so i'll make fun of a good looking couple for being a good looking couple I'll make fun of a muscly, good-looking dude for being a muscly, good-looking dude. But I'm not going to make fun of somebody for being fat or being ugly or being, you know, uh, or having, like, a shitty job or anything. Because those are things that, whatever. That is just people being people. I mean, fuck, man. We're all what we're all different in every way. Some people just look better and some people make more money. Uh, but, yeah, I just try to make fun of the good things because nobody ever has a problem with that. And I find it opens them up. So there's no – I don't – think there's any need to be negative with people that have just paid money to see me tell jokes you know so i try to just be nice about it where are your favorite audiences which venues <sighs> like honestly i don't think there's any that i hate because an audience that laughs is a great honest is a great audience anywhere uh the comedy mix in vancouver is fantastic comedy works in montreal is amazing as well comedy bar here yuck yucks here uh absolute toronto ottawa like honestly man there's a lot of great rooms out there uh i can't really think of any that i don't like and just touching back on food how many times are you researching a joke or or working on something like a home-cooked meal or, or just food in general and you realize this is going into my bit you know like how often are you just like i had this food experience straight into my bit that's something i'm trying to work on now is i want to be able to tell a recipe on stage but make it funny so yeah it's funny you bring that up i haven't done that yet but it's something that i'm working on in my head well you're clearly you know a food lovers comic yeah well, like, no master question. chef right well that's we're yeah. gonna get we're, thanks ben. Uh-huh. We're, i'm trying to get the lead in going on here here's my my written out question on this long list of accomplishments <laughs> you've also been on master chef it's hilarious right well, like I'm fucking random as hell. Yeah, it's, why? Why do one thing when you can do everything? Like know. you just said that about yeah. your your jokes. You know, like why have one flavor, one one crunch when I can have all the crunches? I don't think it's like I don't want to do all the things. I just think that it's important to do the things that you want to do, and you don't want to regret anything at the end of the day. And I mean, I've always like you can talk to any of my buddies who live in Toronto or have lived in Toronto, like Ron Jossel or. Uh, John Steinberg or Dane Alexander, when we were all in Toronto, we would routinely get together and cook big meals together. And I mean, that's not something that really happens all that often, but it's just something I've always done with my friends going back to when I started cooking. I mean, the first stuff I made, I would run up to my grandmother. Uh, I just like cooking for people. And then everybody would always tell me, oh, too bad there's no MasterChef Canada. You should go on MasterChef. I'd be like, ah, I'd never get on. And then when they were casting it and auditioning it, all my friends kept messaging me. And my mom had some health issues that summer, and I went home to take care of her. And I fed her all this kale. Like, I fed her, like, I made a spaghetti sauce, I made a salad, made all this different shit. And she ate it, and she liked it. So I was on the train back, and then the pop-up for MasterChef, do you think you could be Candace Master MasterChef, uh, came on my uh, phone. I'm like, ah, fuck it. I go in, I put it in. And then uh, under why do you think you could be Canada's first uh, master chef? I wrote I just made a stubborn French Canadian lady eat kale four days in a row. That's pretty good. <laughs> so then I'm doing Dan Galley's garage show a Best few days one of my later. Favorites. It's a great show. Yeah. 
and I'm on stage, and I like to talk about shit in the moment, too, like whenever, I don't know, every now and then, and I was talking about having applied on the show, and I thought like the whole Kale thing was funny, and I thought I'd make like a funny bit. So I'm telling the joke and about applying to MasterChef, and it turns out that one of the casting associates was at the show. Come on. <laughs> so she went home, went through the applications, and she's like, holy shit, he actually did apply. Uh, Call me for an interview, and I was funny, and I got the audition, and then I made milk and cereal, and I got on the show. What do you mean you make milk and cereal? I made almond milk from scratch, and I made the flakes, and I made the clusters. Wow. As and, uh, your audition. Yeah. And you got on. Yeah. And how many episodes did you, did you last for? Three. Top 16 finalists, buddy. All right. Yeah, man. That's that's some big prize <laughs> money right there. There's no prize money, but I mean, cool as hell. Yeah, sure, totally. <laughs> and you get some television presence, you know, and that's important for your career. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, it's just, it's another thing for people to talk about, right? Any behind the scenes stories? Any gossip? You, yeah. Is it just like so Canadian? Like, sorry. No, I mean, I'm sure other people are freaking out, but I mean, fuck man, I've told jokes in front of right. hundreds of people and that's something I really care about. Cooking is something I really enjoy. So... Like, whatever. No, sure. <laughs> you're you're just there to do your thing. You're yeah. just there to get as far as you can, which I think most people are until their egos kind of take control. Because you can really see either – maybe it's the directors or the producers being like, act more like this. We need mm. more drama. But you, do you see that? Or are people just trying to be themselves? I think people are just trying to be themselves. And, I mean, it's reality TV and – um, a lot of the time, they come from backgrounds that don't involve performing. Right. So, they give a bigger version of themselves. Okay, so know? anybody that you're just like, why are you here? Like, they got to the point that you got, and you're like, you clearly can't cook as well as I can. Oh, no, no, no. They were all badass. They yeah. were all really good cooks. So, yeah, you, felt, you felt the competition. Well, yeah, because there was like 3,500 people that auditioned that first year. Mm-hmm. So the people who made it through were really good. Like, if anything, I was probably the fucking worst right. out of them. You're like, like a comedian selected. Like, I was, I'm a good cook, but I mean, like, the people who, like, my buddy who won, my buddy Eric, should have won. Like, Marita, who was runner up, also could have won. Like, yeah, no, I get it. Like, they're really good cooks. I'm a good cook too. And I mean, had I, and I had the chance to go back and uh, change that fucking smelt recipe, I would have done something different. Right, so you lost on Little Fish. Yeah. You joke about in your set, I've heard you talk about, I'm French-Canadian, and I, we don't cook Little Fish. Yeah, I don't know Little Fish. There's Little Fish, I don't know what to do with it. Turns out my great-aunt Jean, who's a French lady, she loves smelt. And then she would, uh, her daughter's like, I wish you could have called me. I'm like, it's not fucking... Who wants to be, be a, a millionaire? millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the nicest host? Alvin, Claudio, Michael? They're all really nice. I mean, I didn't get, I don't know, I get along with anyone, for the most part. And they were just like three accomplished, ambitious, you know, big personalities. And I get along well with that. And when I got kicked off, we had our media day and, uh, we're surrounded by like all the, like we're on a phone call with a bunch of reporters and shit. And I said, what was it like being judged by the demon chef? Was that scary? I'm like, oh man, the demon chef, that guy's the best hugger. <laughs> <laughs> Get his little sure. best hugs. He's the perfect height. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, yeah, you guys would hug. You guys would, <laughs> I would pay to watch you guys hug. It's pretty funny. What are your favorite cooking shows outside of MasterChef? Or maybe your favorite cooking personalities? Uh, I think Lynn Crawford is amazing. She's just like super cool and Canadian and accomplished. And uh, her restaurant, Ruby Watchco, is really, really, really good. I like Eddie Huang. He's great. Action Bronson. 
is great too. So a lot of the Vice guys, kind yeah, of, they're great. I, I would put Lynn's in in her own right, kind of you know this DIY, yeah. you know, fucking what anybody else thinks. I'm going to do whatever I want. Oh, hell kind yeah, of chef. She's uh, she's an original man. I I miss cooking shows that teach you how to cook though. Right Cause now it's always like. You have 30 minutes, a cow tongue, and a box of fucking raisins. We're going to we're gonna tell you what you did wrong. Yeah, then they're like, ooh, we can tell this is your first time working with tongue because you didn't take the membrane off. Yeah, it's my first time working with tongue. Fucking membrane. Eat it. <laughs> like, this is your fault. Yeah. You did this to yourself. You mean? I don't want to fucking... So Ruby Watch Co. is is a name drop. Any other restaurants in Toronto or even in Canada that you're oh, in love with? Best restaurant in Toronto right now is Hanmoto. Okay. Off uh, Dundas. It's on Lakeview. No website, no sign. Super hard to find. They're right next or across the street from the uh, LCBO on Dundas behind the Churchill. Okay. Even with your description, yeah. I'm like, where is this? Yeah, it's amazing. What that, is it? Uh, it's almost like an izakaya, but the portions are tinier. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's like a tapas, izakaya type. You nice little dishes you share. Great date spot. Bring your lady, buddy. Bring so you, your lady. So you're all about the Asian cuisine. I'm just about good food. That place okay. is rad. They do like a really modern interpretation of Asian food. Like they make these things called dino wings, and they debone a chicken wing, like a giant chicken wing, and then they hand make a pork dumpling, which is in and of itself super delicious. Then they stuff it into the debone chicken wing, wrap all the meat and skin around it batter it in panko and fry it that's incredible that's a yeah. lot of grease and and deliciousness and it's one. the greatest thing ever they fry the whole thing yeah it's a gigantic it looks like the like biggest a dino chi- bone yeah that's crazy so it's it's almost like we're trying to innovate by fusion two different kind of things to make one it's so good japanese i mean that the izakaya thing i think it's like how do we go over the top with the simple stuff you know well, this isn't even i wouldn't even i find calling it an izakaya is a little bit of a misnomer because their food's way cooler than what you'll find at your average izakaya i just yeah, like the, how they shout jump out off. to chef joe kim he's the best they man. can jump off the edge a little bit more in those kind of restaurants i go there to to a kind of asian japanese kind of i wouldn't i don't know if you call it fusion but they're kind of just being super innovative like you definitely don't get that kind yeah. of food anywhere else i don't even think this is fusion it's just really good food their dessert is the best dessert in toronto hands down miso ice cream oh man it's amazing it's like this bar of miso ice cream uh with uh, crispy rice balls and powdered nori on top wow so it's got that savory sweet thing Ooh, going on it's good times man i like saltiness so i, I really dig the the japanese kind you of take your lady there if you like save stuff. it for a time when you're in shit are we talking yeah well uh, <laughs> uh, what uh, what price range are we talking? Totally affordable. Okay. Yeah, everything's like ten, twelve bucks. But right. like, you want to eat everything on the menu, sure. so you just keep getting different stuff. I mean, it's about a hundred dollar date. All right. With a few drinks and a bunch of food. Back to MasterChef. Any other food shows or any sh- shows you could see yourself on ever again? Would you ever want yeah, to go through that process again? I would fucking do anything, man. I'm not precious with shit. Just like put me on TV. Let's any, see anything stuff. you watch that you'd be like, I should be on that. I would like to try Chopped just to see if I could do it with those like crazy baskets and be so funny. Like... I can see you hosting Chop. That'd be a good time. Yeah. I like to host something like that. I'm open to everything, man. I want to, I, I don't want to say no to anything if You're I have an opportunity. You're a natural host. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I really like when you are able to come back and between sets and kind of do your thing. Because you know what it is? It's your audience work. Because when you're a host, I feel like audience work is your best 
you know, feature. Yeah. So you being able to just pop out and talk to the audience takes away. You're not doing bits, which means the next comic doesn't really have to like go on after mm-hmm. you per se. They're, they're, you're actually cleansing the palate, yeah, pun intended, of your audience. I just saw was, you. Yeah, go ahead. That's what I know. That's what I consider an MC. I'm like the sorbet between right. the courses. We can talk like this for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then <laughs> uh, I saw you lately at the Leafly event. We, that's we, right. We yeah, snapped yeah. a photo together um, for the Eliza Sleisinger show. Yeah, yeah. Who's amazing. She's great. She's a star. Uh, with Am- Amish Patel, DJ yep. Demers. Yeah, man. Some amazing local talent at this free show. Not bad. If you huh? don't know what Leafly is, it's this Yelp app for pot. Basically, yeah. TJ Miller jokes about how he invented Leafly before. He's like, yeah, man, you just put your strain in, learn everything, should have patented it. Leafly came out with it. Uh, That's a stoner one-on-one, though. How many times have you yeah, been yeah. like, oh, man, I got the greatest idea. No, do that already exists. Uh-huh. I know you thought you invented it. Anyways, you, you hosted amazing local talent and then boom big american star yeah where do you see canadian talent doing that in reverse where do you see canadian talent at all in new york chicago la yeah yeah aaron berg is ripping it up in new york right now nathan mcintosh is doing well deborah giovanni is headlining rooms all across america ian bag and lachlan patterson two good bc boys both placed top five on last comic standing the last two seasons uh, Canadian comics are ripping it up. Dan Guterman writes with Dan Harmon, Community, and I believe he's writing on Rick and Morty as well. Dan is a fine uh, Montrealer. He used to do stand-up once upon a time. Uh, there's many, many, many examples of Canadian comics doing great things, but, I mean, there's only so many of us, right? So, yeah, I just think that we just got to get over the whole freaking out over Americans thing every now and then because I get bringing Eliza in because it gives me and DJ and Amish a bigger stage. And Eliza packed that place, man. Like, I can't pack that place. I'll get there, hopefully. Uh, but it's by no one's fault right now that I'm not there. I don't feel that way. I mean, I say government support in terms of, like, subsidies and grants and shit. I just think there's not that many of us. We're a country of 30, 35 million people. And that we have this many people that are rocking it in the States, I think, is pre- pretty impressive. And then we aren't even touching on Catherine Ryan. Do you know who Catherine Ryan is? No. See, it's a damn fucking shame. Canadian girl living in the UK. She's essentially Amy Schumer there. Where like, is she from originally? Toronto. Or no, actually, I think up north in, in northern uh, Ontario, maybe. But I mean, she lived in Toronto forever. And she couldn't be a bigger deal. Like, I'm talking 5,000 seat theaters, 40 foot posters with her face on it. Huge, huge, huge deal. How come we don't hear about, not even just about her in particularly, but the fact that that success is available? I mean, I would like for it to, here's my thing. My main complaint is that there's no attempt to try to sell the product abroad, right? I mean, I think that there's a, there's real opportunity there to create a Canadian brand in terms of humor, like on Netflix, because you like British comedies, that type of thing. Uh, I wish there was more foresight and investment in people in terms of making, like Catherine, if she was able to blow up there as big as she did, it's a bunch of factors. We just don't have the population in Canada to allow for that level. Like she's a huge fucking deal, uh, short of moving to the States. But I mean, it'd be nice to be able to stay here and do more. And I want to see more happen here that we could sell. But I get when people become big deals. I just wish that they could also be a big deal here. Like, I wish Catherine could have started a big deal here, then gone on to become a bigger deal there. You know what I mean? I I understand what you're saying in a sense that she's not returning here so quickly to kind of increase her success. She's staying in the UK 
where she did get her basically her rise to stardom mm-hmm. where it would have been nice if, if she got it here but at the same time is if she's in the uk now do you feel that she's obligated to come back to no, canada no not at all she's obligated to do what's best for her right. i mean um and then hopefully people google catherine and they see her shit online and they see all that and they realize that man there's probably a couple more Catherine Ryans that are in Canada right now. Maybe we can make some money off of them. Okay. I don't know. I just I get that people become bigger deals elsewhere because we don't have the population. I just wish that it would be a little easier for them to become a deal here first. And I don't like John Dore was a deal here. You know what I mean? He was a a, a fairly big deal in Canada before he should have blown up in L.A. And I don't think just because there's so many people in L.A. It's so hard to say because maybe there's a million people in Toronto that you could actually, that could be your demographic. Let's say you specifically, Ben, Mm. let's say there's a million people in Toronto. Yeah. That's a good market. And I feel like in LA, maybe that's easier to achieve because of the amount of people there. But if you get a, it's like, it's funny. It's like money. It's like, if you get a thousand, a million fans in Canada, it's almost like it's 3 million fans in LA just based on the population. Oh, absolutely. So, but I don't think that's still not, I mean, it's just so hard to say as as somebody who's not a comic and I know the struggles, I see my friends and I see my acting friends. I get it. You're in Canada. If you're lucky, you get a million people at the most in your beginning of your success, Mm -hmm. be a fan of yours. Whereas you go to the States and if, you know, there's a million people looking to be a fan of somebody because there's 3 million people in the same neighborhood. I know this kind of convoluted, but... I kind of find it hard to believe that it's that much harder here. Like a million here is still a million people. Yeah, but we're spread out, man. <laughs> sure, a... but in Toronto alone, there's three, three to no, nine. I get, that. I get that. I mean, Jerry D is a good example of what you can accomplish in Canada. That's a great example. But Mark Little, you know, yes, he's an up and comer. Jerry D also had to get on Last Comic Standing, place top five on that in order to get that attention in Canada, right? That all came after that. It'd just be cool if Jerry could have been Jerry without having to get all this acknowledgement from south of the border. Mm. But again, I understand why they want that because then they they see that as like a built-in audience and maybe they can sell it to U.S. I mean, that's what Jerry's wound up doing at Mr. D. He's just licensed a concept to CBS. You know, And they can make the whole show on their own without him and he'll just get royalties. Will Arnett is producing and I believe starring in the show. Come on. Yeah. Well, good, because anything after Flaked is yeah, going to be successful. But, I mean, we could do – it's what I want to see is more shit like that happen. Right. Like the Jerry D model. And, I mean, he sells out huge theaters in Canada. To your point, 3 million people in Toronto is 3 million people. He does a great job of being a star. You know, like Ron James is another guy that I give all the credit in the world to. Nobody realizes it, but he's basically Louis C.K. in the sense that – how many new hours has a guy written over the course of like 10, 15 years? And he owns everything. It's all his shit. Like all his CBC specials, it's all him. He owns it. He produces it. It's all his. Like he could sell it. He could do whatever he wants with it, right? And then because he's a known enough name, he gets the syndication rights. And then boom, it goes on Comedy Network once every month. And, and he, he plays a lot of theaters, man. I yeah. remember a couple years ago, he was in the studio promoting um, a tour. And he was doing... 24 theater dates in Ontario from the end of January to the end of February. You think he's making anything less than five, ten grand a night? No way. And he's filling those. He's selling them out. Yeah, he's filling them up. He's selling them out, no man. Question. But he's a legend. Yeah, he has built people, himself into people that. People don't realize, man. Like Ron James at his peak is making 
like a few mil a year. Do you think he's going to the States? No. Exactly. Ron went to the States a long time ago and came back. And he's like, my market's here. Yeah. But th- I mean, that kind of proves my point, you know? Like, there's a way to do that here. I, I know the the dream, the American dream is to, like, be from another country, make it in America. But, like, oh, my God. Like, I have no interest in other than hanging out for maybe a couple weeks with American friends. Like, I don't want to live in America. No, and I don't think that you need to. Jay Baruchel is a great example of having a, a very healthy Hollywood career, and he lives in Toronto, I believe. It's different now. You don't need to necessarily live in the States all the time in order to work in the States, you know? But I feel like it's like... Uh, Look at Orphan Black. Oh, yeah. Like, we need more of that shit. Like that U.S. media auditor said, we need more of that stuff. And more people like that start speaking up, and we'll get there. And I think that's where we'll get eventually and i think the canadian talent will get more opportunities but i also get other talent working in canada like get american talent to come to canada yeah i understand that because i mean we've done that in a lot of different countries right i mean how many of my friends live in la new york or london and uh it's just how it is i mean best people for the best job you get the people that you can get that you can afford 100 percent. and if it's going to make a better product is anybody really going to get pissed off that they're in a movie with robert de niro or fucking other a-lister in hollywood you know what i mean they're all the same we're all in it for the same reasons and it's not like you're hiring or supporting a specific country it's an individual that you're working with and hopefully learning from and i don't know we all got something to offer do you think Comedians are their own worst enemies by creating this bubble that, you know, this dream-like, you know, infatuation with L.A. If they took that energy and been like, no, Toronto, I'm going to make it here. Like, I don't need to be in L.A. I don't need my green card. I, You know what I mean? No, because I don't think it's all about needing to go to L.A. I think it's also about looking for new challenges and new, uh, new opportunities, right? It's not necessarily just about L.A. It's just growing as... A human. I mean, everyone we're talking about that's gone to L.A., they're all young people. They're all, like, in their 20s. They're all, like, this is when you move to L.A. It's when you move to New York. It's when you make these big decisions and you do these things. And, and when you recess, you reassess your, your position. Well, it's not just that. It's also filling up the, the bank as a writer. Hemingway didn't just talk about running with the Bulls. He went and ran with the Bulls. So as a comedian... You're not going to appeal to a global audience by just performing in Toronto. Some do, and some can achieve that, but it's a very difficult thing to do when you don't know what's necessarily relevant from one end of the country to the other, from you know Alabama to Vancouver. And I think that's part of the goal of going down to another market, going down to London, going down to uh, L.A. or New York, is to just find out if your material hits anywhere. Because that's a huge part of being a comedian. And learning. I didn't realize how much of an educational standpoint yeah. they were taking. And I don't look at it as anybody giving up on the scene. I'm sure that some people do have that in mind when they move to L.A. I just think that it's part of being a comedian, right? I'm not from here. I'm from Ottawa. So I moved to, you know, you, you go fishing where the fish are. And I found some fish here. And I'm happy with it. And maybe one day I'll go to look and do other stuff in another city. But it won't be because I don't think there's anything here. Because I know there's stuff here. It'll be because I want to go try fishing elsewhere. You know? So your career took you from Ottawa. You come to Toronto when? When when did that happen? Well, I moved here twice. I moved here in 2003. And then SARS hit. And I was working in TV and I couldn't get any work. And that's when I ended up uh, getting seen by Breslin, though. And he started middling me from that point on. But I had to move back to Ottawa. 
uh, that I moved back here in 2005. And when did you start working with Sirius? Around 2005. Did you move here for Sirius? Yeah. Okay, so how did that start? <laughs> they, Mark Breslin was the original program director. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, okay. and he had asked all of that his comedians. He had asked all of his comedians to write letters in support of the bid. Uh, this is like a standard CRTC thing. And I wrote a letter in support of the bid, but because I was living in Ottawa, right across from Hull, I also requested to speak before the committee. So I gave a speech, and it was pretty funny. I was supposed to talk on a Wednesday, and everything ran really long. So I got bumped to the Thursday, and I remember opening up my speech with, I haven't been on TV, you haven't heard me on the radio, you haven't seen me at any festivals. If any of you recognize me, it's because I've got the same suit I had on yesterday. <laughs> and I got bumped. Wow. And uh, that got a big laugh, and I was pretty funny and sincere with it, I guess. And I had a good suit. It was all black, three-piece. I had a gold shirt and a gold tie with a gold pocket square, and I had goofy fucking 20-year-old hair back then. And uh, I guess uh, when the New York Times were doing a story on it coming to Canada, they were, talk they were going through the transcripts and talking to people involved in the uh, hearings, and everybody... Where a bunch of them kept bringing me up. And there was this one kid that went up with a goofy haircut and a three-piece suit. And then they found a transcript, and they thought it was funny. And then they tracked me down in the Maritimes and sent out a reporter to go interview me and take a picture. And then ne next thing you know, Mark is like, come... Yeah, I never handed in a resume. Wow. But yeah, they didn't even know I went to broadcast school. Oh, you know? man. And, uh, Just get me the guy in the gold suit, okay? The gold shirt, black suit. Well, I mean, I was only doing like freelance host shit at that time. I was only like a part-time host. I wouldn't even say part-time. I was, yeah, I was invoicing them every couple weeks. Wow. And I mean, 10 years later, I'm in charge of the channel. Yeah, so what's going on now? You you do Top <laughs> Comic. You yeah. did the Kenny Hotz show, which yeah, we got to talk about. Yeah, yeah, Kenny's great. The fact great. that you dealt with Tom Green and Kenny Hotz <laughs> in your career span is just like my fanboy in me is really Yeah, they're cool dudes, nuts. man. It's just, yeah, it's neat. Every now and then I'll go through my phone and I'll be like, man, I know some cool people. <laughs> Are you, do you still talk to Kenny? Do you still talk yeah, to yeah. Tom? Yeah, yeah, Kenny doesn't live far from me. We run into each other all the time. Yeah, he he's doing the dog and bear. Kenny versus Penny, I think, is... it's. It, such a good example of what you can achieve and as like a, a producer in Canada and exactly what I'm talking about. So you got Kenny versus Benny, hit show. Everybody loves it. Everybody's watching it. They license the concept internationally, syndicate it in countries that speak English, and they make a fortune off of it. And it's all because of this great Canadian show. There was an era in Canadian television and comedy, late 90s, early 2000s, that I think was like a golden era. And it was three comedies in particular. Uh, Kenny vs. Spenny, Tom Green, and Trailer Park Boys. These are shows made in Canada that people watched all over the world. And I don't know why we went away from that audience, because it was clearly there. I'm I'm in a total agreement with you that there's there was some sort of... I mean, especially when you look at CBC and how they're essentially, you know, bleeding money, mm -hmm. or they're just like bleeding dust. I'm not really sure, but... They had so many opportunities that I just think they fired for the American alternative. Well, CBC passed on all three of those shows in uh, the, the 90s and 2000s. They passed. I mean, I know they did the first season of Kenny vs. Spenny or something like that. Yeah, and then they dropped it. And then they went to Showcase. They had the pilot for Tom Green, and I believe they passed on Trailer Park Boys as well. So, I mean, that was a different regime, different people in charge back then. Uh, but when you think, if the CBC would have had Tom Green, Kenny vs. Spenny, and the Trailer Park Boys, how healthy would that channel be now? 
but I mean, it also has forced can- Canada or Canadian producers to go in the opposite direction and realize, well, we don't need the broadcasters. We're gonna we're gonna do, you know, the Louis C.K. you know method. Oh, where, I don't where, buy that Louis C.K. bullshit. I well, hate okay, that. Call it. He's the pope of his own religion. He kills me. But I'm just saying these shows. Look at you know. I, I wish Kenny versus Spenny did this, but Trailer Park Boys now own SwearNet and mm-hmm. they own the rights to all their movies, and now they're more successful than if they were connected to CBC. In my opinion, who knows? We can't know but it, which way. They were way. forced. I, I know who knows, but it's almost like Canada's done this to itself. But Ron James is, as we talked about earlier, sure, call it the he, Ron James method, not the Louis no, but C.K. But what I'm saying method. is, Ron James, as I said earlier, working with CBC, achieving a great deal of success with CBC, was still able to retain a great deal of ownership of his own things. So I don't see any reason to think that well, that I, wouldn't have been achieved with Tom and Trailer Park Boys and Candy versus Spenny, but we'll never know because it never happened. I just think that if Ron James had the hindsight to do it, mm. Trailer Park Boys after, maybe it's a contractual thing and they had so, so many contracts that they had to, um, so many years and seasons in a contract, they had to figure it out. But once they had that kind of freedom and the fact that they've run with it and are successful, isn't CBC like kicking themselves? Like, don't you think all these these shows that, that could have been successful are now competing against themselves, essentially? Or they're competing yeah. even against CBC? Maybe. You... CBC's uh, doing all right. They got Mr. D. They got Chits Creek. They're doing all right right now. I can't hate on CBC. They're doing a lot of comedy production right now, and I'm happy to see them go back to their roots. I mean, comedy and sports, man. It's what we do well up here. I, I get it. But... How do we not prove to them by now that they're doing something wrong? But what are they doing wrong right now? Because I get I get what you're saying in that when we both agree passing on the sweet shows is a mistake, but Shits Creek and Jerry D in particular, those shows are well produced, they look amazing, they've sold abroad, and I don't know for Shits Creek yet, but I think that there is talk that it's selling abroad, or it may have already. They're streamed, they're available on Netflix, they're Shows like you're talking about. They're available to everyone. Can we honestly talk about Shits Creek? Yeah. Do you like Shits Creek? I think it could it's definitely got potential to get better. I think it's got its moments and I think that Seinfeld wasn't all that good its first year either. Oh man. That's just like saying I don't know. Anytime you go to a, a restaurant that you had a bad meal at, do you go back the next time and be like, Well, Seinfeld's first well, it season? Well depends was on bad. who the chef is, man. I mean, how much fucking you really don't want to give Eugene Levy any credit? Catherine O'Hara, two of the greatest Canadian comedians. I don't think that they would ever associate themselves with a the garbage product. I think that it's going to find its stride. It's got an audience, which is going to allow them to find their stride because it'll give them time to do it. But I think if anybody should be given freedom to get better, it's literally like two of the greatest comedians that have ever lived. they're legends. Do they need to do this show? They don't need to do anything, but they're doing it because they clearly want to, right? Like, I think that's the coolest part about it. Neither one of them needs to do anything here. And they're doing something that... You know, we're talking about, you asked me earlier, does Catherine Ryan have an obligation to come back to Canada? No, Catherine has got an obligation to Catherine and make Catherine to the biggest deal that she could possibly be. Eugene and Catherine O'Hara have done that. They're living their life now and part they, of their life they want to do this. And one of the things they want to do is come back and make a great show in Canada. So I don't think they'd be wasting their time throwing their amazing reputations in 
with a product that they don't think has got the ability to go down as a really great show. What I think about Canadian television in general is it's hard to hurt your career. I feel like any time that Canadians put out Canadian content, mm-hmm. no one's ever like, oh, they were in this. They mm-hmm. d- it didn't do well. They're, therefore, they were bad. Well, once you're on Canadian TV, you're on Canadian TV, right? Like, is <laughs> what it is. How many commercials... I do see with the same face over and over and over again. It's the talent pool and the casting people and whatever it is. There's not a lot of us and there's not a lot of casting people and people like who they like. And I mean, there's a a while back where Mark Ford was in every other commercial you would watch. Uh, Darren Frost had a million commercials back in the day as well. It's what it is. People are, they get a lot of bookings and it's not because anybody else isn't good. It's just they're doing a good job and somebody's taking notice and Every director likes to work with the same people. I mean, you look at big film directors. Quentin Tarantino generally has the same people that they like to work that he likes right. to work with. Well, I mean, Catherine O'Hara and yeah, Eugene Levy are a perfect examples. Exactly right. So, yeah, it's what it is. There's not a lot of productions, and there's not a lot of casting people. And when you find someone you like, it's easy to work with who does a good job. There's no reason to not go back to that person until they're so exposed that they have to. That you can't use them for everything that you want to use them for. And that's what happens in Canada. It's not because there aren't funny people. There's just not that many casting people. No, it's true. And it's like, I, I wanted to ask you, like, what's Kenny Hotz doing now? You know, I know Vice is talking to him. Vice Canada seems to be trying to get a whole bunch of you guys to do more stuff for Canadian content in, done, yeah. developed by Canadian producers. I think Kenny is always doing stuff, man. He's, uh, yeah, he did that cool shit with Vice. And I think it was Derek was a part of that as well. I think I saw Derek Harvey there. I don't know what Kenny's got planned next, but I know he's got something planned. I mean, he's he Kenny always Hunt. does. Yeah, yeah. Always does. So, you have to. I think that's the Canadian mentality, like Catherine O'Hara and like Eugene mm-hmm. Levy. They're like, we got to not even just stay relevant in the minds of their audience, but just in themselves kind of have to feel, they, they must feel this need to be a part of, you know, the culture. It's how I am, like, with my day job, because, I mean, I'm senior producer and programmer for a 24-7 Canadian comedy channel. It's a big job. But I go out and I hit the mics, man, because I want to, because I need to, because it's something that, like, gnaws in me. And same thing with Kenny. Kenny needs to create. Kenny's been a creator his whole life. Uh, he was a photographer. He fucking worked on Ninja Turtles, man. Like, the Michael Bay one. No, the original Ninja Turtles cartoon. As what? I forget what it was, but he worked on it. Crazy. Yeah. Like, he wrote on South Park, can he create? So No, for sure. Yeah. You get that gnawing thing in you, right? Where it's like Tom. Tom is doing stand-up now, right? Where, I don't know, Eugene and Catherine, they always, like, they get their big paydays with the things that probably aren't the Christopher Guest movies. But they go back and do the Christopher Guest movies so they can work together because that's what they want to do. And you, you work hard at doing other stuff so that you can find, at least for me, I just want to be in a position where, like, I'm always with people I like. Or people I want to like. And that's clearly what they're doing. They're like, oh, Catherine O'Hara, let's do it. We're, I'm in this. You know, this is the element yeah. that I want to be in when I do anything. And when I'm not in a situation that uh, affords that, <laughs> I want to be financially compensated. And I will be the nicest, most polite person in the world well, so that I can go are. back to hanging out with my buddies. You, you know what I mean? You already are, Ben. Yeah, that's why, I mean, you treat me like a friend and you barely know me. And, and, I, and I, that's always why... I've, I've been a big fan and, and wanted you on the show and actually wanted to talk about you hitting the mics and having a nine to five and oh, yeah. doing all this for serious, but you're doing more than just hitting the mics. You're doing cooking and mm. comedy together. You've been doing a few. I do that every now and then. Yeah. At the death, the depreneur. <laughs> yeah. Mostly the death, but I've done some in like Muskoka. I think I'm going to be doing some in Montreal in September. Yeah. It's cool, man. Season comedy. 
I cook for my audience and I do a show. It's that's what's it like, you know, like doing your act while you cook. The next one, by the way, is July 10th. Yeah. At the Depeneur. So that's right. We're going to launch this episode July 9th. Nice. So we'll get you tons of promotion <laughs> for some last minute tickets Sweet. for the 10th. And that's at 1033A College Street in Little Portugal, uh-huh. right right across from my favorite uh, Portuguese Boreta. Nice. Um, yeah, the black and orange sign. Yeah, black and orange yeah, sign. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's Toronto. I feel like when you're from Toronto, you know signage yeah, better than you know yeah. the names of the places. But right, black and orange sign, probably the nicest patio. And across the street is the Depaneur, which is an amazing like DIY. They do brunch and stuff too and, and regular restaurant stuff but they do events you know you can privately rent this out yeah. and do a ticketed event so let's talk about your upcoming event yeah i just uh i don't cook while uh, i do stand up so like this one is a uh, three-course meal that i make it's my potato party it's gonna be all around potatoes and it's potato skins and potato crusted fried chicken and a bunch of roast veg and how nice french coleslaw. canadian yeah yeah and then uh sweet potato pie for, wow. for dessert and you make it all in front of them yeah, well, I mean, it's like a big day, right? So I do all my prep. I get in around 2, 3. My opener is also my sous chef. Who's that? This time it's going to be Ashley Moffat. Okay. Uh, I've had Sandra Badalini. I've had Roy Day. I've had Nick Martinello. We got to talk about the Italian event you did with Sandra, especially because Phil is literally going to oh, yeah. be here in a half an hour. It was great. It was fantastic. It was my favorite one I think I've done. She's she's comedy royalty she makes a very good tiramisu i'll tell you that there you go yeah she makes a mean tiramisu the baraguch yeah yeah it was really really good yeah that was a nice service we made like a nice antipasto to start uh so that's not really cooking more just assembling uh and curating like a that's a cooking people need to learn the the basics but uh after that it was eggplant parm uh penne alla vodka and chicken and voltini stuffed with mozzarella and peppers and it was really good and who do you like cooking for the most? Family, friends, probably friends. Friends and like women. <laughs> well, any tips for cooking when impressing ladies? Yeah, don't fuck up. Don't fuck. <laughs> no, just try. I don't know. I find that anybody responds well to uh, effort as long as you don't kill them with food poisoning. I think you're pretty good. Well, guys like us need all the help we can get. Ben <laughs> Miner. No, no, I uh, I cook pretty good. Like it's so funny. There was one girl, she came over for dinner, and this is like, we just started dating each other, and I think she th- thought I was trying to impress her, but it just happened to be what I was making that night it was really good, and she kept saying, I can't believe you went to all this trouble for me. I can't believe you. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm just going to let her, I'm just gonna let her think that. Because <laughs> 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 I guess this does seem like, who the fuck would do this for themselves? Do you remember what you made? It was some crazy, like, barbecue. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it was something on the barbecue where I converted my barbecue to a smoker. Whoa. That's not hard. Like, you put half on, half off, put yeah. smoked apple or whatever wood you got. Yeah, you on make the a little other. pouch, you soak it. And then I, know you, a few, I know a few things, there you go, Ben Alex Ross. You know you got the same name as an amazing comic book artist? I do actually yeah. have one of his comics right there. There you go, Kingdom Come. Actually, it's just like a best of of DC. Nice. Actually, DC and Marvel. Yeah, no, that's that's my claim to fame. Having somebody else's. Uh, we actually on on the network that you're currently recording, Ross Never Sleeps. Mm-hmm. We have a comic book show called Speech Bubble. Nice. So Aaron Broverman, who's an ex vice journalist, he he does Yahoo and stuff. He um, 
interviews, so many Marvel and so many DC guys are actually located in Toronto. Toronto's a huge... Really? Oh, I, I, you How can never I hang know. out with these dudes, man? I can make that happen. That's Please? not a question. Can you really? Not a question. Oh, I would fucking fan he's in so here. Hard. He's in here interviewing all the guys you've seen do illustrations for some of the most current yeah. See, that's Spider-Man's, like, Batman's, and even the local stuff that's happening in Toronto. That's the third part of me, is like no, the never nerdy shit. Like, if I could write a comic book, and then all of, like, I could do, every, man, if I could do the cooking shit and comedy and write a comic book. Well, they all have comic in it. Yeah. And, and, you know. Well, I mean, I've been reading comic books since I was a kid. And, I mean, I remember my grandmother giving me French Catholic comic books, St. Francis of Assisi and shit, because she knew that I read, I read the comic books. And oh, maybe you'll read about Bible stuff if I give it to him in comic book form. Wow. Uh, yeah, I eat that shit up. I'm a big dog. I'll hook you up with Aaron. Aaron Broverman, Speech Bubble Guys. Oh, man. That's, I'd lose my mind. Dude, he literally talks. He had um, Mark Asquith on the other day. And Mark is the like head producer of Space TV right now. Oh, but nice. he's like Neil Gaiman's best bud. Oh, wow. Like him, he was telling us stories about him and Neil talking about the new God's thing That's that crazy. they're i don't with know the justice with the uh justice league movie they're gonna make all this now. stuff my right? buddy aj fry is on this space but toronto is a, a breeding ground for a lot of these comic book stuff i like that now i'm gonna go meet some comic book people so that i could fucking write a comic book I, i'm gonna hook you up do it no question no yeah. question speech oh, bubble crazy. speech bubble the never sleeps network we also have a food show because like I, I was almost like do i put this episode on the comedy <laughs> side or do i put this on the food we have a food show that i also host called speaking duck there you go and we talk to a lot of the chefs and, <laughs> and people in, in food tourism or just generally associated with food so yeah we should definitely get you back you know if you're looking to do yeah, one just of give the, me the whole network i could just like yeah. be on everything all the time <laughs> just 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 let me know who you want to meet and who you want to talk to but i I know we're coming to an end here. I could talk to you forever. Nice. Because I feel like you're just my type of comedian and, and I'm I'm interested in anything that has to do with food, comedy, you know, just the ability to mesh things well. Mm. It's not very easy. You must love things separately to be able to bring them together as eloquently as you do. Well, thanks for saying that. Uh, for me, it's like, I think that when you're a comedian, I've been doing stand-up for 17 and a half years now. A long time. Like, my comedy career can almost vote. It doesn't feel like it, though. I feel like you're still so freaking fresh. Oh, thanks, man. It's because I love it, right? Like, it's too much fun. Like, I don't get people, like, that are, have been doing this for a long time and don't write new jokes and hate it and they show up miserable. And comedy's giving me everything. And it's awesome. And I have a good time doing it. And uh, 17 and a half years in, you know, like... I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> Just being able to combine your oh, loves. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you do it for, like, a long time. And then I think that's where the bitterness can set in if you don't find a way to take your comedy and apply it to something you love other than that. Because I get a lot of pitches, like, for radio shows and shit, and it's always comedians talking to comedians about this, comedians talking to comedians, comedians talking to comedians. And I think that you take your comedy and you apply it to what you're passionate about. And there's so many great examples of that. Like, Roseanne Barr, her sitcom was about her family and it was the most relatable sitcom and her comedy was about her family and then she took those two things and put them together and you had a show tim allen the whole grunting man thing he's a car guy he likes all that shit and then he managed to create a character that fit within that and it worked i mean seinfeld gave hope to every comic with the hope with the dream of a comic show about a comic doing comedy finally i don't have to branch out to something yeah and i love seinfeld it's an amazing show but i just think that it's been done i don't think it's likely to have another show like that 
So I think when you've been doing this for a long time, or even not a long time, it's important to find something that you could take and apply your comedy to. And it sounds like the depreneur, these events you're pulling on, or wherever you're going to hold host them, this seems like it could be an extension of your career. Like you're looking to really push this as something yeah. you should do what once a week, once a month. Maybe. I mean, I would be opposed to doing a corporate for a shitload of money once a month. That'd be nice. Again, this is July 10th. <laughs> We're airing this July 9th. So yeah. it's tomorrow. Get your tickets. Where do they get their tickets? I think just like the Depeneur's website. The Depeneur's website. Just go to my Facebook, facebook.com slash Ben Miner. That's M-I-N-E-R. E-R. So now that we're doing social, I want to do a quick lightning round okay. of questions for you okay. before we get you out of here. So let's get all your social media out of the way. All right. So Facebook, uh, Ben Miner. Ben Miner. Twitter. Twitter, at Ben Miner. Uh, Instagram, I just started it not too long ago. There's barely anything up there, but I'll be putting some more shit up there. And that's a Ben Miner as opposed to the Ben Miner. Okay. Because that's just arrogant. <laughs> well, that's a good, good tip for people trying to figure out how to get their name in there yeah. and uh, realizing it's taken by somebody else named Ben Miner. Hey, don't be a the person. Who the fuck are you, right? <laughs> you think or you I love are? when it's like the real Ben Miner. Yeah. I was gonna, yeah. My buddy Dan always puts the original in front of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's smart. He's smart. <laughs> All right, lightning round. I always like to throw in a lightning round when there's somebody who I can't have forever and okay. I need to just like throw in all the questions I've ever wanted to ask all, them. Right. all right here we go Ross Never Sleepers Ben Miner's lightning round cocktail beer beer or wine uh cider okay grilled pork chop or grilled chicken breast pork chop uh favorite vegetable oh right now oh, it's gotta be potato it's the greatest most versatile food item in the history of humankind straight white Yukon all potatoes, man. I like Yukon personally, but all potatoes. All uh, farinaceous tubers. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite pre-show food? I don't like to eat before shows because I'm always... Like, so I all like, day you starve? No, no. I mean, I just, I'll eat like lunch, but then I won't eat before the show. So I don't even know. I don't really take it into account because I don't like feeling too full on stage. And then I'm also an unlucky eater and I'll generally end up spilling shit on my shirt. Oh. And, uh, but and after the show. If you're wearing a gold shirt. Yeah. yeah. You can't, <laughs> you can't do that. that unless you're spilling mustard or something. Well, my next question before you get ahead of me, favorite post-show food? Oh, shawarma. Really? Shawarma plate. Where's like a good shawarma plate? Not even, not even wrap, plate. College plate. falafel. Ozington and college. The best uh, shawarma and falafel in the city, hands down. Everything's wow. handmade. They don't fuck around. That's a big deal because, like, I feel like with all the shawarma and the Lebanese and all the Mediterranean and Jewish and, and Israeli, they're version. not even any of that. They're Albanian. Wow. They're a nice Albanian couple. The guy looks like Robert De Niro. Second De Niro reference this episode. Uh, and <laughs> just for you, those coming yeah, yeah. home. And when they when you order falafel, they actually pack it in front of you and drop it in the fryer, like it's made fresh. It's oh, none I love of this that. reheated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a little bit of mint in it. No, that happens so a lot. The the preheated falafel balls. I hate that. They'll fuck with me. No, you know I know. I mean? And it's like we don't. It's, they act like we don't know. Maybe the average person going in there doesn't know. I know. Yeah, like there's no crispiness to it, man. I know the difference between something that was right out of the fry right. and something that's been sitting in a pan. You seem to be an Italian fan. I like Italian food. Yeah. Favorite Italian restaurant in the city. Uh, I like Giorana's really, really big nose, or really, really nice restaurant, also known as The Nose. Right, uh, in uh, Queen East. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I also like, like, the Vivoli on college for, like, old school shit. Cool. Yeah, they got a really nice antipasto platter. You don't hear a lot of, about Italian restaurants left in Little Italy that are fun anymore. That yeah, yeah I'll give them of- a shout out. I like the Vivoli. Nice all little right, joint. All right. yeah. Uh, do you brunch? I guess. I mean, I eat. 
I don't like dedicate. No, I don't brunch. There you go. <laughs> I like, a, I, like no. I love that metamorphosis. <laughs> that was amazing. I don't make a big deal out of it. I know. There's a reason why I didn't ask. What's your favorite brunch spot? Yeah. Do you, you either do or you don't. Yeah. No. I mean, it's like I don't brunch. I, I just I say brunch. late lunch or okay, late break. I don't know. It's like fucking midday eating, man. I feel like I feel like you you like to go to bed late and wake up and then that's your first meal and then maybe you'll have lunch. I don't eat much during the, like, the in the morning. I'll have like two pieces of toast and then like have a big meal at night. But yeah, what goes on that toast? Peanut butter all the time, all natural or like creamy craft. I don't know. I get it at the uh, the cafe next door, and I always feel bad because the dude over butters my toast. Like there's way too much peanut butter on it, like way too much. There's like two three tablespoons on each slice. And every morning, I've got this ritual. I got to scrape off all the excess peanut butter so it doesn't melt and drip all over my right. shirt. And also, it's gross to eat a mouthful of peanut butter. It's true. And it's just like, do I give this guy shit <laughs> for he's doing you a favor? Well, he's, no, like, telling he's, not, he's not doing me a favor. I'm paying him to toast my bread and butter, and I'm sure. getting to the cafe. But I'm like, do I really give the cafe guy shit? Like, do you have it in you to tell somebody you don't know how to spread peanut butter? On toasted Well, bread. I hate to break it to you. He's actually an avid listener uh-huh. of this show. Uh-huh. Maybe he is. And he sees that I'm coming from a good place. Because <laughs> he doesn't want to spill on his shirt, my friend. Yeah. Best bar without comedy. See, I'm, I'm all about my neighborhood. I don't like leaving my neighborhood. I like Opera Bob's on Dundas or the Lakeview. Hey, that's your neighbor? You are yeah, big man. Aussie. Like I don't drive, right? right? And everything I do, like the studios in Liberty Village, I live at like Ossington Dundas. Uh, comedy bars, there's a blur in Ossington. All my friends live around there. Like, Toronto might as well just be like 10 square blocks to me. I'm the same way. I mean, I rarely go north of DuPont or Bloor. I barely go west of Dufferin. I barely no. go east of maybe Young, unless I'm going to the underground comedy club. It's the only reason I'm ever in the Literally. East End. Yeah, same. Yeah, you were at that show too the other time, the Scott you, show. Oh man, that's right. I just saw you. Was it last Thursday? Thursday, Scott Thompson. Dude, my fee. You and John Stein <laughs> being able to pay fifteen dollars and shout out to Joey because if you go to yeah. any of her shows in in the previous days leading up to that, she'll give you a half price. Oh wow. Yeah, that's not really that. Like, if you're listening to this show, you're pretty much as exclusive as the people going to these <laughs> events. So you know, shout out to the comedy clubs that really care about the fans, the underground. Like, yeah, we pretty much talk about them a lot that's like my second home but it's because of that place that i can talk to you you know how many places can i go to a comedy show and actually approach you and feel okay about it only because you're already in the audience you're you're drinking with us you're smoking with us you know like i feel like yucks especially are absolute kind of put up the wizard of oz veil on purpose because they want you to kind of feel like you know these are comedians we're always always happy to talk to people no problem i'm not talking about the comedians themselves themselves, how they're built how they're built no i get that you know as soon as you're done your set at joey's at the underground you're back in the audience almost you know what i mean and yucks you go behind a a stage essentially Mm. we lose you and i never get to interact with you yeah you know i get to walk in how many how often do you get to walk in and see your headliner just chilling (laughs) out having a beer talking to his fellow comics i feel like that and it's scott thompson and it's fucking scott motherfucking thompson he's amazing and i love that he's recreating himself this is a whole other conversation for another show but yeah everybody do so a favor go watch scott thompson and he's killing the clubs right now he's man he's killing festivals and everything he's about to blow up like a second time people don't get it they they're they're not gonna see it coming but He's going to, uh, yeah, he's got a second life as uh, one of the great stand-ups of his generation. 
that set. Was that not one of the gutsiest sets without giving away anything that he's working on right now? Holy fuck. I've seen him a few times leading up to that, and I think he's finally found his voice. I'm the biggest pussy in the world next to that guy. Like, holy shit. He talks about stuff on stage that I could never, ever get away. Like, not even get away with. Just I wouldn't have the, the authority or license to. And, like, yeah, as a comedy fan, watching him is the best fucking thing. He is about to blow up again, and I can't wait to see it happen. We got to leave our show off on that. Yeah. And we got to shout out to Scott. Yes. Ben, thank you so much for coming, talking about how your career is really developing, still developing, and you're still in college, and guys like John Steinberg and you, yeah, and, man. you know, opening for guys like Scott, there's a reason. You know, I see it. I think the city sees it. Aww. Stick around in Toronto and make Toronto as <laughs> great as L.A. Yeah, man. That's I'm, what your job is. I'm going to be like Trump. I'm going to make Toronto great again. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. We're going to see you tomorrow, July 10th, Boom. at the Depener. Tickets are on your Facebook page, the Depener's website. Ross Never Sleepers, sleep tight. Boom. Boom.